0: This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is Max Olson, national college football writer from The Athletic. We'll hit on some interesting news in college football that has broke over the last few days, starting in Alabama. Long-time strength and conditioning coach Scott Cochran is leaving Nick Saban, to join Kirby Smart at Georgia. What does this mean for Alabama, Georgia, and Cochrane long-term? Colorado has a new coach in Carl Durrell. Who saw that coming? And I'll talk to Max about a story he wrote about how the NCAA might need to tweak rules regarding number of scholarships a team can hand out on a yearly basis if it also has plans to make less restrictive transfer rules thanks for listening to the ap top 25 college football podcast you can find us on westwood one podcast at apple podcast and just about anywhere you like to get your podcast please subscribe and if so inclined give us a good review it helps college football fans find us and it helps us find more college football fans and away we go Joining me on the podcast this week, recurring guest Max Olson from the Athletic, national college football writer. Uh, Max, thank you very much for taking a little time out of your off season to talk a little news, a little transfers, and um, whatever else is going on in college football. How has your off season gone? Man, I'll be, I'll be
2: honest with you, it doesn't really feel like an off season yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like I see I start to see these pictures pop up on my tweet deck of like. Oh, Stanford and Vanderbilt and Texas Tech are practicing and it's just like come on, give us a give us a break, give us a little time off here, you know?
1: Yeah, not to mention you do a lot of hard work around uh around signing day and you look yeah, back at the classes true. and things like that which are very good, which are excellent excellent work and that's uh that's a lot more intensive than I prefer to be in uh, January <laughs> and March, after, excuse that's me, true. January and February after the season is over.
2: That's I that's good. I I admire your ability to Kick your feet up a little bit in uh, in January because, you know, it's just like – it's just such a 12-month sport now. Just Every every year it feels a little more – and then, you know, of course you have – and then you have rare deals like this where you have a coaching search that goes on into late February and stuff and it's just like now it's
1: spring ball and then it's the draft. Amazingly. Right. the There was a still an FBS team looking for a, a power five team looking for a head coach as spring ball was starting for other teams. Right. As spring ball had begun around the country, there was an FBS opening. And if you want to look at the coaching carousel, because that's what really sort of I, in some ways that defines the season. The coaching carousel started on September 29th when Chris Ash got fired. Oh, my gosh. And it closed on February 22nd, I believe it was, right? A couple of days ago when uh, Mel Tucker became official. Not even. No. Excuse me. uh, February 24th. It was yesterday morning. We We are recording this on a Tuesday. It was yesterday morning when that became official. Or maybe it was Sunday morning. I'll, of Carl, uh, Carl Durell at Colorado. Yeah, that's of, right. Yeah, Carl Durrell at Colorado. And, of course, now big news becomes assistant coaches moving. Like that stuff that used to be sort of just in the transaction wire is now something that gets covered a little more intently. And I want to start here. One of the more fascinating moves of the offseason came about 24 hours before we're recording this podcast. And that is Scott Cochran, the longtime strength and conditioning coach for Nick Saban. He has been Saban's lieutenant. He has been his right hand man. There is only one other thing more consistent at Alabama, you know, over the Saban era, other than Saban, it's Scott Cochran. He yeah. is leaving Alabama to become an on-the-field coach at Georgia for Kirby Smart. Uh, the assumption has been special teams because they have an opening there it's hard to get my mind around what exactly how big and how big a deal this is. I'm wondering when you sort of heard the news and have a few, have had a few hours to process it. What do you think is going on here?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, I I was in some interviews yesterday when this was going down and I stepped out and saw that on Twitter. And I think, I think I responded with the exploding head emoji because I, (laughs) I, just can't, I couldn't believe it. I mean, look, there's, this has been a possibility in past years. Um, because of how, how close Scott Cochran and, and Kirby Smart are. We remember, you know, we've heard stories of people trying to make a run at Cochran. I believe even Lane Kiffin tried to when he, he went to Ole Miss. Um, but it's hard to like, I mean, what what's even like the sports comparison for the, Ralph to help people understand what it means when Nick Saban and Scott Cochran are no longer working working together. Like, I, I can't even think of, like, a sports parallel to that.
1: I'm trying to think of in the NFL, like, was there an assistant who was with a, a head coach for such a long time that in some ways the assistant became just as important? You know, Dick LeBeau is a guy who was a defensive assistant for a long time in the NFL, and he was very successful, but he also was at a couple of different places. He was at the Steelers. I think he was at the Bengals. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it? Um, are you a big baseball? It's like, f- if,
2: it's like if Oprah and Gail stop being <laughs> friends or something. Like, like honestly, like there's not even because it's it's not just it's just like yeah. it, an, an all time great duo in college football, and, and maybe a lot of fans don't maybe totally understand that. Um, but that's that is how that is how highly um, you know Scott Cochran is regarded inside that program, and and regarded by people who have to face Alabama. That this guy is. Um, you know, this is the guy that, that runs the program throughout the offseason, and clearly
1: the results have been unbelievable. Right, because he's not just the guy building up the bodies, going through the mat drills, and telling you how much to lift on Tuesdays. He is, and this has become the case throughout college football, and in many ways it started with uh, Mickey Mariotti, who's the equivalent for Urban Meyer for many years. Yeah. Um, as a strength and conditioning coach. It, and it, like this is the model, and Cochran is, is sort of the, uh, one of the people who sort of made this model, which is your strength and conditioning coach sets the tone for your program sets the culture for your program and to a certain degree becomes the uh, voice of the head coach when the head coach is not supposed to be around. Whatever the head coach's agenda is, when the head coach can't be around at certain times of the year when he can't be around the players, the strength and conditioning coach is the person who's implementing the head coach's off-season vision. And that's what Scott Cochran has been.
2: That's that's the I mean and that's those guys have kind of created that model where, um you know where it's Mariotti or, or or Cochran where you're the head coach essentially of the program, from January through July you know with the exception of spring ball and so, um, this is you know when when you you know we all love to talk about culture and all that kind of stuff that guy's the culture he he is the culture he sets the culture, and um you know I, certainly. So, so there's there's lots of different ways to break that down. I think the first thing that comes to mind for me though is like, just like you have to admire it as a chess move for Kirby Smart because that's what it is. It's it's kind of immaterial whether Scott Cochran like is an expert in, in special teams. It really doesn't matter. I mean, the fact is you are not only are you you bring him into your program to make everyone better and putting him on the road, which I think is going to be really fascinating. I think he'll be very effective as a recruiter, but you are also taking away an unbelievable advantage from, you know, one of the programs that stands in your way of competing for national championships. Right. So that's, it's, it's almost for, if you're Kirby smarts point from, from his point of view, it's a huge addition to Georgia's program, but it's an even bigger loss for Alabama.
1: And the thing I have had a hard time grasping. And I don't think it's possible to answer this. I really don't. I don't think it's possible to sort of quantify because we're trying to do it now. Like, it's a huge loss. But because Cochran has been there for such a long time and because sure. Alabama has is the monster that it is and it loses a lot of other pieces and just keeps rolling along as a death machine. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but wonder... At this point, are things rolling? In other words, is the culture that Cochrane has helped put in place, is that now so strong that it doesn't necessarily need the guy? In other words, at a certain point, has what you created become so good? It's not about you. It's about sure. the structure. And I'm not saying like we don't, I don't think either of us can answer this here. That's a to be determined, but that's what's fascinating. Like, let's, we'll, yeah. like, yeah. what is the value of Scott Cochran to Alabama? And I'll just, I'm sorry to be long winded, but the, and the, the, can that value be transferred? to Georgia? Or is Georgia's value simply getting him away from Alabama? And even if he doesn't provide the same value to Georgia, it's still a win for Georgia.
2: Yeah, it's there's there's a lot of different um,
1: there's
2: it's just such a fascinating topic because there's a lot of different um, aspects to that. One of them is, you know, we all sort of um, watch in amazement from from year over year as Alabama's coaching staff is constantly being shaken up, constantly guys moving on to better jobs or guys being processed out and replaced with better coaches and stuff. And we wonder how does Alabama succeed without stability on their coaching staff? Well, Cochran and Saban are why, you know, now you, you, you bring up something that's important here and that's, that is to point out that Scott Cochran held that role for, for 13 years. Right. And so I, I think it would be natural for some people to, to maybe have the opinion that, you know, maybe maybe it was time for a new voice in that room, right? I think that's probably the Alabama spin is, um, you know, Cochran did, a, did an unbelievable job, but 13 years is a long time for anybody. And maybe, maybe players, it's time for players to hear a new voice in there. And certainly Alabama, um, th- that strength job opening up, uh, you're you're gonna get a few resumes for that one, right? That's probably <laughs> the best job in the country in terms of, um, in, in a lot of ways they probably can pay more than people. They they I believe they've just opened up an entire you know sports science facility and stuff like that. And so if you're Nick Saban, you say, all right, we'll go out and get the best strength coach in the country and keep doing what we do and and give them the resources. I know it, it'll be interesting to see can they sort of can that be a smooth transition? Um, but certainly i I can understand the alabama spin i think it's i think it's dishonest for alabama folks to spin him as oh he was kind of overrated and stuff because he wasn't but i can understand the point of view of um look this is alabama everyone's replaceable when you have nick saban in charge right and so we can go go out and get the best and uh
1: and and maybe get even better i think about what Scott Cochran also brings to the idea of what he brings to Alabama, or what he has been bringing to Alabama. Not just from the, also from the sense of what voice he gives to the the players. In other words, what he means in relationship to the players. What does it mean to Saban if you no longer have your confidant? If you no longer have this person who is very much in tune to your vision? And I think back to. When Ryan Day took over for Urban, when Urban was uh, suspended last year or two Mm -hmm. years ago now. And I remember talking to Mickey Mariotti about this. And he had said, listen, you know, I went because, again, Urban and Mickey Mariotti are of the same brain to us to a certain degree. So when things were in really troublesome times at Ohio State, Mickey sort of stepped up to Ryan Day And said, listen, I got you on this. Like, I'll I'll, we'll make sure the kids are doing the right things and you can just concentrate on getting the game plans together and getting your stuff together. And then when they made that transition, Mickey and Ryan have become super close already. And it was easier for the Ohio State program to transition away from Urban Meyer because Mickey was still there. So, again, I only say that to sort of bring across just how important these people can be. And if Scott Cochran has that role, what I guess I wonder is how much does Saban need that confidant? How much does Saban need that lieutenant level person who is not just working the kids out, but – providing a vision or seeing Saban's vision in a way that maybe Saban, that maybe he anticipates it. Right. And what does that mean to all the other coaches and all the other facets of the, of that program? It's just, it'll, again, it'll be really hard to quantify, but I, I, you know, I just, you know, I I, guess, I guess from from a human. I think
2: you're right. I think in in that situation, isn't the trust more important than the talent when it comes to that coach?
1: that's what i guess let's think of it from a human level i think to a certain degree we we look at we look at sabin as something of a robot so we sort of forget that he has human feelings like i wonder if sabin is hurt i wonder if sabin is upset i wonder if sabin feels like he's losing something that is more than just a coach in this situation like is he losing a friend in a, on a level that may listen Saban's also getting up there is that the, is this something that he looks at and we'll, we'll look at maybe five years from now and say yeah that's probably when he started thinking about retiring which may sound like oh, a boy. huge huge jump to conclusion but you do sort of wonder what does this mean to what Nick Saban looks at for his the rest of his career and that he has lost this person who is really really important to him
2: yeah look i think i think back to a couple years ago um i remember i think i think in the first recruiting cycle where we had the early signing period and when georgia was really rolling um georgia had the number one recruiting class in the country and alabama was in the top 10 but was not close to number number one there and it was made very clear to everybody look georgia's Georgia's going to go out and do what Alabama's been doing. Right? They they are gunning for the tide and they're having a ton of success in, in recruiting. And I remember um you know Nick Saban shook up his staff quite a bit after that. And I think they still I think Alabama still ended up finishing with the number 1 recruiting class at the end of that cycle, but I think it's healthy in some ways for Nick Saban like to have Georgia and now certainly obviously LSU um kind of pushing you to 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 evolve and improve and and like kind of don't you think that kind of gives nick saban some juice to you know when he gets up on on this tuesday morning after losing scott cochran to to be pissed at georgia and to say all right they're gunning for us what are we going to do to get better like i I think that's healthy when you've when you've been as dominant as alabama has had to have different motivations pop up
1: you know that's a great point, Max. That's an awesome point. The idea that now... Listen, I think it's already been well established, right, that Georgia was coming for Alabama and that w- what happened with LSU is LSU actually caught Alabama, which hasn't happened in a long time. So no. you, so, I mean, we already knew the theme going into this season, short term, just going into this season was sort of Alabama reasserting itself. That there's going to be a lot of stories, even though it's only been one year that Alabama didn't make the playoff, my God, catastrophe in, in Tuscaloosa, there will be a lot of stories about how Certain kids came back. Najee Harris came back. A few guys came back who maybe we yeah. thought weren't going to come back. And that the, the theme will be Alabama is looking to restore itself after, sure. a, after one year of getting knocked off. And you do wonder if now this is a way of Sabin not just saying, Oh my gosh, my friend is gone. Who am I going to trust? How am I going to replace this guy? But it's a way the ultimate competitor, the uber competitive Sabin now looking at this going, Okay. This is not a problem. I will just now figure out a way to win without him, and that's a new challenge for me. Same thing, you know. And we're where we mentioned LSU here, but like you think when,
2: you know, when when LSU beat him this year, and Ed Orgeron's in his locker room saying, you know, f him, we're going to take all the recruits and all that stuff. You got to think that's that's getting getting the juices flowing for Nick Saban a little bit to know we got to we got to avenge this and we got to you know restore
1: the order a little bit, right? No doubt. And the other great thing you mentioned about Cochran going into an on-field role, which means that he can recruit on the road. Can't do that if you're a strength and conditioning coach, though I'm sure he was a pivotal part of the recruiting pitch when they were getting guys onto campus. No doubt. But I think that's the most fascinating part of this, that he potentially and we don't get a chance to talk to Scott Cochran much because you don't talk to assistants at Alabama they're off limits. Mm -hmm. But because they're in the playoff all the time, there are media days where all the assistants are forced to be available. So once a year, we at least get to talk to Scott Cochran. And you realize when you get those opportunities, he he has the makings of being a potentially excellent recruiter.
2: Well, let's take it a step further, Ralph. Like, what if the, if you're, what if you're Scott Cochran and and you're kind of sizing up these opportunities, I mean, doesn't it make sense for him in the back of his head to say, you know, if I go take this job at Georgia, what if this gets me on the path to, you know, becoming a head coach? I mean, that, that's something that that's a leap that we just, you just don't ever see in this industry for a guy to go from, um, you know, renowned strength coach to, you know, the head job, that's, that's something we've never seen. And you're never going to see a strength coach get hired straight out of that role into head job. But if you're Scott Cochran and you, you've watched how things are done in Alabama for more than a dozen years, and you, you know how to bring the energy to a program like that. Like if, if he can do this for a few years and, and rise up a bit, wouldn't that be, I mean, how significant would that be if, if a Scott Cochran could be in the mix for jobs like that?
1: It sounds a little weird Because it hasn't happened before. But the more we talk about what a a head football coach at a college program is and realize coaching the coaches, creating the culture, cultivating a brand, frankly, uh, Mm -hmm. recruiting, but overseeing an operation that is a recruiting department that is now dozens of people between personnel, assessing the personnel and doing all the media and marketing that it takes to get your message out. You know, we've always talked about how coaches are CEOs going back to the Bobby Bowden days, but it was always Mm -hmm. sort of done so in a colloquial way. Now it's more literal. I mean, these guys really are CEOs. And if, if it's all about creating the culture, cultivating a brand. Who is better to do that than a person who has been in charge of that? That has been Scott Cochran's <laughs> job, you know, more so than anybody else. You know, write, writing up ball plays is going so far down on your list of, of qualifications for head coach. Maybe Scott Cochran is the perfect guy to, uh, down the road, become a head coach.
2: Well, I mean, look, if, if a coach puts in two or three years as an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator at Alabama, um, they're probably going to get a head coaching job off that, and it's probably going to be a job in the SEC, right? Like we all know that 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 ads are are certainly very eager to hire um, Nick Saban's, uh, you know, off of Nick Saban's coaching tree and, and people that have come from Alabama. So, um, you know, why hire someone like Sark who has
1: a couple of years there when you could have hired the guy who helped build the whole thing? It's a fascinating conversation on what Scott Cochran means, and again, I think we'll have a better. It, we can all speculate and it's fun to speculate what it might mean to Alabama and what it might mean to Georgia and where this could lead Scott Cochran. But really trying to figure out the actual value here is something that maybe in two or three years, we'll get a much greater idea of what this move meant and, and the ramifications of the throughout the SEC. So I want to take a quick break here. I'm talking to Max Olson, National College football writer for The Athletic, come back hit on one other news item and then i wanted to touch on with max uh, his work on the new transfer rule and what it means to numbers and scholarships and other changes that may come into effect if indeed more athletes more players are allowed to transfer without sitting out a year you're listening to the ap top 25 college football podcast and we'll be back right after this
0: This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC.
1: And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I am talking with Max Olson of The Athletic. So, Max, the other bit of news that's come about in the period w- between my last podcast and this podcast is CU. As we talked about earlier, uh, Colorado finally hired a head coach, so the coaching carousel is done. Boy, like if you had told me to list like a 100 guys who could get the Colorado job— I am fairly confident Carl Durrell would not be on my list of guys I would have expected to get the Colorado job. Give me your reaction when I think it was Pete Thamel who broke the news ultimately that Durrell was the guy when you saw that tweet or that when you opened up your mm-hmm. flipped up on your phone and you saw that news making the rounds, what was your reaction? Really?
2: <laughs> I, I suppose that would be my reaction when you, when you see that news pop. Um, you know, look, one thing that we all do um, in in the off season is, like, assign grades to coaching hires, and certainly, like, this is a complicated um, hire to, to grade um, because of the timing being just absolutely brutal to have to make a hire um, unexpectedly uh, in late February. You know, I, I don't think that Rick George ever could have seen that scenario. Um, you know, you, you can't anticipate that. You know, you got to have a list ready in case that ever happens. But even in February, it's hard to get the people at the top of your list in that situation. And as you saw, um, you know, it, 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 I w- it was interesting to see some of the names that were sort of attached to this job. Um, I, I, it seemed like this search was going to go on a little bit longer. It, like it, it, it looked for a minute like maybe it would be Sark or Troy Calhoun. And then suddenly it seemed like maybe that wasn't going to be the case and maybe they're gonna go in a different direction I didn't think Carl Durrell would be that direction <laughs> um, didn't didn't see that coming it doesn't mean it's a horrible hire because ultimately you know they found someone who's who's familiar with Boulder and who's had some success in Boulder as, as a coordinator um, but that was from 95 to 98 that was a, that was a very long time ago and uh, you know now because of because of the fact that Mel Tucker has taken you know pretty much his whole staff to uh, East Lansing with him. Um Carl Durrell is in a really tough spot here where you gotta hire a staff quickly and then boom, get get ready for spring ball. I, I, I feel for these players that, that they have to go through this transition and um boy, it's it's gonna be this this year one is going to be uh fascinating for Carl Carl Durrell and I don't know like how, how do you how do you turn that into a really successful first year when kind of these things are stacked against you like that
1: yeah they are literally weeks away from starting spring ball they're less than a month uh, than starting spring ball at colorado um yeah you know i i think it's easy to sort of make fun of the move, honestly, and I think at least a few people might have. Because, again, he hasn't coached in such a long time. He was the Dolphins uh, receivers coach. It was a name that nobody had thought of. He did an okay job at UCLA. And in retrospect, he probably did a better job at UCLA than given credit for, considering how UCLA has done uh, since he left. So maybe he should have gotten a little more credit for how he did it at at UCLA. Though, again, it was an okay job. You never know how these things are going to play out. I have told mm-hmm. people I have gotten myself out of the grading of the hires business because who knows, man? I mean, so often you find, you look at a guy and think that's a perfect fit, and it works out terribly. And you look at a guy who you think, boy, I'm really skeptical about that, and it works out great. So we'll see how that plays out. The initial thoughts to me were mostly about kind of what you said as far as where do you go from here? How do you make this a successful first season when you're throwing this all together so late? The other thing that strikes me is this. And it it sort of speaks to who is in charge of hiring these coaches. I don't mean the ADs. I mean, who are the people behind the scenes who are sort of pulling levers for their guys? Mm -hmm. And you end up with agents and headhunters sort of selling you on guys because, well, he's available and he really wants to do it. I also do wonder how much... Rick George wanted to make sure he got somebody who wasn't going to pull out after two years. Because after just having that with Mel Tucker to have that again, that could be a real problematic situation for your program. So how the situation came to land on Carl Durrell and you sort of think like, well, who's he represented by? Like from what I've heard, he's got some representatives that are similar to Eric B. Enemies. Uh, Mm -hmm. So maybe there was a relationship there between Rick George and the people who and some agents. So you become comfortable with some people and they sell you on somebody else. If you can't get the guy you want, what about this guy? I also do think there might have been a situation where Rick George might have looked around and said, you know what, I might be able to get this young coordinator here or this up and comer here, but I really need to get somebody who's going to be super excited to be in this job and stay yeah. for a few years. Yeah, but it,
2: it, it's an interesting dilemma there because I, I don't know. I can understand the AD saying, um, you know, feeling burned by Mel Tucker and feeling like I don't want to do this again two years from now. But at the same time, you look at kind of the 10-year run for this program or really the run since they left the Big 12. And I, I, if you can get a bringing a coach who can make Colorado really successful in a couple of years – and then he has some 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 opportunities. I I think you got to go for it. I think they just need success at this point, and and some somewhat sustained success. And um, you you thought that was going to uh, be the case with oh god, why am I blanking on his name? Mel Tucker Ralph. No,
1: before him. Oh, uh, Mike McEntire. Mike McIntyre. Mike McIntyre. Right, right, Mike. Right, Mc- Excuse McEntire. me. Yes. Yeah.
2: It, it seemed like Mac, Mac, Mike McIntyre was was going to be able to point that thing into the right direction of you know sustainable success, and that that fell apart. But um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's a fair point. It's a fair point that you, you want someone who's eager to be there. Um, I, I thought when that search was like, I, I remember at one point Bruce reported that, well, maybe they were going to circle back and, and talk to an Alex Grinch or a mm-hmm. Graham Harrell. Like, I can understand why. I, I think I may have preferred going in that direction for a hire. But at the same time, to those guys, like, this is probably not a very attractive job at the moment. And, and you know, if you are a hot coordinator out there, you, you, it's probably as we're coming to the end of this cycle, maybe it makes more sense to sit back and, and wait for next year and see what's on the table because uh, Colorado has some some real unique challenges uh, when, when, when you jump into that job in, in late February.
1: Yeah, and that was also the massive bind Colorado was in simply because it, it's a tough job and then you include this awkward timing and now you're really challenging people to leave a job for your job. Like who, you know, and you, I mean, and you can't even really recruit, right? Because
2: the, 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 signing class is already locked up and hopefully you can get those kids to, and, to and where are you enrolled, getting your assistant right? coaches you from.
1: I mean, that's the other thing too. You can't go out
2: and say, here's who, here's the guys I want to bring into this program. And look, Carl Durrell had not been coaching in college the last few years either. So there's going to be that adjustment of, of, you know, you know, he was last at, he was at Vanderbilt in 2014, didn't have a very successful run in his, his one year there as OC. Um, but, you know pretty much every job he's had otherwise since he was head coach at UCLA was in the NFL so i think that that piece of it will be an adjustment as well
1: all right let's talk about transfers and some of the numbers crunching you did there is going to be change coming in the NCAA it's not going to be a legislative change it seems like the next step in the transfer saga is a change to the waiver system which would sort of mimic the one time exception for athletes to uh, transfer one time without sitting out it happens in other sports i know as you know fans of college football and college basketball may find that hard to believe but it happens in other sports and they're trying to recreate that in college football and college basketball the way to do it in a short-term way is with a waiver situation where basically if you're in good standing with your school and the school doesn't have a problem with it you can transfer and go play right away. It will open up a lot more opportunities for kids to play right away. Part of the issue with that, though, is it might also open up more or make it more likely for more kids to transfer. And it becomes a little bit of a numbers crunch when it comes to scholarships because even if you, if you lose a transfer, you can only sign so many kids per year. And even if you lose a transfer, you don't necessarily get that scholarship back immediately to use. So uh, that's the, I, I say all that to sort of give a, a little background on what the numbers crunching you did and where you think this thing could be headed and what possible solutions that might need to be embedded in any transfer rules when it comes to recruiting and signing.
2: Yeah. So my curiosity was, was certainly as, as the news um, comes out that, you know, it seems like we're heading in the direction of a one-time transfer exception. Um, You know, certainly I think most people, the, the gut reaction to that um, and, and the fear mongering you hear from coaches uh, around an idea like that is, is, oh my gosh, there's just going to be so many more guys that, uh, that transfer if you give them a freebie basically. And so I wanted to look at well, well, what would happen if suddenly there were many, many more players transferring? Because we've already got a lot right now. We've already, frankly, got too many players transferring at the moment. Um, in, in this this cycle of it, which starts in, in August um, you know of, of 2019, um, there's been more than 1,100 FBS football players who have put their names in the, into the transfer portal. 750 of them or so are scholarship players. Um, and I, you look at where they're ending up, um and and there's still there's still you know eight hundred and sixty players that are still active in the portal uh, i I think that number is probably a little bit less, but still more than eight hundred players um still waiting to find a school and um you look at where they're actually ending up and and I found that um of the ones that have enrolled at schools about 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 forty four percent of them have to go to the f c s level or division two and and even I found that there are twenty players who went into the portal as, as scholarship players and and, uh, enrolled at schools as walk-ons because they couldn't get scholarships. So the fact that schools right now are limited to just a hard count of 25 initial counters or 25 scholarships in a recruiting class means that they really only have room to take a couple transfers in a year. And, you know, I think unfortunately we're seeing much more than a couple players on each program uh, going into the portal looking for a new school. And so I think the reality is – if even more players are going to go into it, and if even more premium players are going to go into the transfer portal in the future, then, you know, I think you're going to end up with even more dramatic case where right now you're seeing about 60% of the guys that enroll at new schools are, are moving down a level. And I think we'll probably see, um, you know, even more of them. And by down, I mean, you know, power five to group of five or group of five to FCS or whatever. I think you'll see even more of that because there's, there's frankly just not much room on these teams, rosters to take many transfers.
1: And, Again, the reason why there's no room at the end is if you can only sign 25 scholarship players per year, mm-hmm. and that's combining that 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 includes recruits, right? Now, now, part of your recruiting class can be transfers. You could save one or two of those 25, but you can't exceed 25. There's ways you can. I think you can carry over some numbers yeah. from the yeah. year before depending on when you might sign some guys but it's still it's a hard 25 cap and again most teams like to sign up to whatever their limit is or whatever they have available uh as far as high school kids because that's really the lifeblood of your program you don't want to you may save one or two and more and more coaches are sure. saying I am going to save one or two to see if I can get a grad transfer or a or a kid who might have some eligibility you know so you get a little more of that depending on where you are where you are in the development of your program but a possible fix to at least well it wouldn't fix the numbers to the what you're seeing but it could fix a little bit is the idea of well maybe we loosen up that number 25 as a hard cap and there's some possible yeah. legislation to do that which is not necessarily related to this but it's sort of indirectly related to this
2: yeah. And that's, you know, Jeff Long, the AD at Kansas has been pushing for this for more than a year. Um, he was able to get the Big 12 and the Mac to team up on this proposal, which is is ready for a vote. And I imagine probably will get voted for here and, and, and you know, enacted in, in, in time for August. Um, but it's not that much of a it's not that dramatic of a change. Now, what Kansas wants to do is is it up. So instead of 25, um, you can take up to 30 in a year. However, um, because they don't want people oversigning like crazy um, and taking advantage of that, uh, they still set a limit that in a two year period you can only sign fifty so it's really not changing yeah the numbers that much it's just changing that oh and maybe in some years you take twenty eight and then the next year you take twenty two right mm-hmm. so it gives you flexibility and and you could look at it and say well that's just that that is going to create a lot more. Spots for transfers potentially, but but not really, not really over a two year period. So, um, you know, and, and and look, the NCAA after how Ole Miss and others, you know, took advantage of oversigning and, and you know, brought together classes of 30, 35, 38 players. Um, we're not going to go back to that. Right. Um, and and so, just to
1: make people understand, the biggest problem with that is you are clearly kicking kids out at that point. Yes. If you're over yes. signing to that degree, you are you are absolutely without question saying there are kids on my roster which, who are not going to be here anymore. And right. you, and you and have so, to work to do that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so now, now look from, from a coach's point of view, now they obviously they have their opinions on, you know, where we're heading in terms of, you know, they, they certainly are very fearful of anything that resembles free agency, but you know, one complaint you you often hear from coaches, and and it, I understand it. I understand their point of view on this. Is, you know, if if your program that has had, um, you know, three, four, five players go into the transfer portal in the off season, it, it makes sense for them to say, well, well, why shouldn't I be able to go sign three or four or five players to replace them? Right? Mm-hmm. You you would think that. How do I get that number back? Of course, the 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 fear there, and the reason why I, I don't think you're going to see that kind of legislation coming up here. Is because then you can really, you know, you can really process your program and push twenty guys out and bring twenty guys in, right? Like it, that will be, you, you know, you would see programs try to take advantage of that if there's kind of a one for one deal there, right? So it's it's tricky to kind of find the right way to do that, and and right now the just the reality is is you end up with even if um, this rule changes in August um, and, and schools can take twenty eight or twenty nine in a class. Um, it doesn't really mean that that many more players are, are getting spots on FBS rosters.
1: Yeah, I do wonder if you can come up with some way, as opposed to what you had m- mentioned when you say one for one. So in other words, if I lose one, that means I can get one back. And you explained why that could be a little dangerous, because right? so, <laughs> at least from the, kids, from the kids' point of view, because suddenly, all, all of a sudden, like, right, I can just start pushing kids into the portal and say, now I get that scholarship back. And trust me, that already sort of happens to a certain degree. That, yeah, that's yeah.
2: how we get over signing. You know, absolutely.
1: Right, right. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've had coaches tell me, especially coaches who sort of live you know, or, or have spent a lot of time in that group of five level, and they'll tell you all the time, it's like, listen, that coach up there says he's worried about, you know, kids leaving, and I'll tell you that I got three kids on my roster because they were pushed out, <laughs> right, Yeah, uh, of right. a Power Five program because they didn't, they weren't, they you know, they were sort of told that, like, listen, you can stay here or you can, you might be better off finding a place where you might have a little more success, which essentially means, you know, you're not going to play, but feel free to stay here, but you're not going to play. I, I mean, sure. And and we don't think much of you, so, you know, we might make it really tough on you to, to stay here. So that stuff, it, it, it happens too. I still do wonder if there's some mechanism of you lost a guy in the portal or you lost X amount of kids, you can have a scholarship back. In other words, maybe if it's not one-to-one, You might be able to get some relief. Um, as far as replenishing a roster or replenishing a spot or getting a scholarship back. And listen, I think this is one of the things that's going to be discussed now as a contingency. I I don't think you can have these transfer rules without having the discussion that we're having. And hopefully there will be folks in Indianapolis who will be having it. But I do think there probably needs to come up with some kind of measure that gets you at least – that allows you to repair a little bit of the damage that could be done by mass transfers.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I want to ask you this because I'm, I'm curious as we as we kind of look ahead to this transfer landscape with if you bring in the one-time transfer exception and, and basically give players the chance to to leave a school and go to a new school and, and play right away once, um, you know certainly like like a Justin Fields or a Shea Patterson, those are pretty pretty rare cases mm-hmm. where like a really you know a, a five-star type of guy. Comes onto the market, you know, in their first two years of their of, of their careers here. Do Do you think like we will see more premium players decide to make moves in, in early in their careers? Not not as grad transfers, but early on. Like, do you think we'll see a lot more Justin Fields types? if we make it that much easier to transfer? Because I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of that, to be honest.
1: I am. Uh, and part of it, like you did those numbers about transferring down. There's a lot of talk that comes in the up transfer, right? And th- That's a term that gets used a lot in basketball more than football. Sure. But the idea that a really uh, a power five school is going to poach from a group of five, a group of five is going to poach from the FCS, and we're going to develop the kids, and then they're going to take them away. That right. gets talked about a lot. But the reality is, and this is even pre-portal, a, a lot of the transferring is transferring down uh, yep. already. Uh, and a lot of the transferring, even transferring down, I think coaches that have a little bit more of a, a, a grounded sense of reality will tell you, like, listen, we, we talk a ton about transfers. But the m- vast majority of the numbers here is just depth. You know, it's, it's a lot of kids moving around. Very few of them are stars or even starters. The the heavy movement comes from kids who, hey man, I, I'm not going to start here, so I got to find a, a, an easier place to play. Right. So that I, that's that's a way that's a my long winded uh, way of saying that. No, I don't know if you're going to see a whole lot more Justin Fields, but here's the thing: you don't need a whole lot more, even if it upticks a little bit. It's mm-hmm. significant because it's a high, those those high profile players are the people we see and they have major impacts on programs. So yeah, I'm gonna... and we
2: react to anecdotal evidence a lot, right? Like that's because the thing you're talking about this the fear of well, what if the what if the Power Five start poaching the Group of Fives, right? Like people will point in this offseason to De'Arick King going from Houston to Miami, mm-hmm. which we all know that's a, a very unique uh, circumstance there. Why De'Arick King is choosing to leave Houston, but Over time, like I remember when when Garrett Deer went from Bowling Green to Alabama, and it's like, oh, is that going to start happening a lot? It hasn't. It just hasn't. A couple times it happens, a couple times every year, but you know, it not in a really not not in a really like statistically like notable way. But we do tend to kind of (laughs) get, we do tend to kind of fall for the anecdotes, right?
1: Right. Well, remember when Vernon Adams, right? He was, that was a big one. Vernon yeah. Adams transfers yeah. out of Eastern Washington in FCS school where he had great success to Oregon. Right after Mariota left, he was the next Oregon quarterback and he did okay. And he, and it was a big deal at the time because again, FCS coaches were up in arms. Oh my gosh, we're going to become a farm system. Of course, not not recognizing or not uh, acknowledging the fact that so many FCS programs are built on the back with the backbone of the FCS programs of many FCS programs is FBS transfers, right? (laughs) There's all all kinds of kids who like who, who get phased out of FBS programs and end up in FCS because they can play right away without waivers and all that nonsense. So I, I do think there will be an uptick but i guess again going back to your the your point about the anecdotes i think the uptick might not be very big but it will it will be high profile and it will have big impact when it does happen and it will seem more momentous but the fact of the matter is you know what the, go back to eastern washington right gage uh, gabrud like, uh, G- yeah gabrud yeah, yeah, yeah. Gubrud, yeah. So made the same move last year. But we both may be saying it wrong. I I think we probably are. But his first name is Gage, and there's not that many quarterbacks. (laughs) It is Gage. Gage. so everybody go to Eastern Washington. I remember that. So Eastern Washington to Washington State last year, and people thought, oh, wow, that's a great move by Washington State because they were going to be looking for a new quarterback, and he didn't start. Anthony Gordon flew by him, and it really wasn't that big of a deal. Now, I'm sure it would have been nice for Eastern Washington to have him back last year, but Eastern Washington, I'm pretty sure, made the playoffs without him anyway. So like most of the stuff that comes about with transfers, the great lesson here, the overarching lesson is there is more fear mongering and worry about potential consequences and blowing those out of proportion than in reality when it finally happens. We will blow a lot of things out of proportion. We will fear monger. Coaches will. We will gnash teeth and complain and worry about all this stuff. And then there'll be a few tweaks and things along those lines, and there'll be a new normal here. But it really won't be quite as you know. The change probably won't be quite as dramatic as we think it might be. Let me ask you yeah, something. I, Let me ask I'm, you about I'm with this. You on that. Do you think this could be the end of the grad transfer rule?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about how, like, if a player does that, that that's it, right? There's there's not really. You know, that that is using your your grad transfer, but using it early, basically. But that's
1: not but not necessarily. No, not the way the rules are written right now. You have to change the rules. And the other thing that's also very interesting, too, and you pay attention closely enough that you might see it because you have to really be a nerd and pay attention a lot like me. (laughs) Okay. Oh, have you noticed again, a little anecdotal guys like transferring more than once? Like yeah. transferring and then grad transferring, because amazingly yep. they still have eligibility left because they're getting in so early into school, so they're graduating after two and a half years. Maybe they transfer at one point within their gra- or they're grad transferring. They have two years left, and then they grad transfer again.
2: Yeah, I know it's it's weird. You see that a lot. You see that a lot in basketball too of guys somehow bouncing around to like four different schools. Um, yeah. But you started – you do see it a little bit um, in, in college football now. And and I, I've I've seen names pop up in the transfer portal where you're like, didn't that player just transfer a year ago? And, yeah, it, it happens. And and sometimes that's because um, – <laughs> the reality is sometimes that's because there's a reason why these guys are in the transfer portal, right? Whether that maybe they're not going to be happy wherever they end up or maybe they were a problem child for the school they were at and they, they will continue to be that – uh, for wherever they go but yeah I, I am I am curious to see how many guys uh will will start to transfer multiple times um, during their careers. You know the one thing i am i'm really curious to watch too, like you think about it, ralph like if 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 you had like a son who was like going through this right, who was like at a school and he was looking to transfer um and you just look at the numbers like i said there's there's you know been eleven hundred players more than eleven hundred players that have gone into the portal only about one in four ends up at a power five school. Like, wouldn't you like kind of encourage your son? Like, Hey, maybe like reach out to some of the coaches that recruited you before you go ahead with this. And, and like maybe feel out if you actually have a a place to go before you make that decision. Like, I just like, I feel like that's just common sense. And I, and I kind of wonder if like, we're just going to continue to see Mm -hmm. more and more tampering because of this, because it kind of seems like, the smart thing to do to line up where you're going to go before you decide to go.
1: Well, and I, I think there are coaches who might tell you that that is still happening, but oh, it's, it's happening. Yeah, yeah right. There's sure. still and they a lot don't of turn
2: each other in for it, which I find interesting, you know, but right. It's we,
1: happening. Right. There's complaints about tampering and there's all kinds of, again, uh, sort of spooky stories to make everybody scared about the boogeyman of, tra- of of tampering, but how much it's already happening. And it's just sort of given like a, yeah, you know, Hey, like, just tell your, you know, talk to your high school coach, right? Just talk to your high school. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to talk directly to the player, but I'll talk to your high school coach. You talk to your high school coach and we'll make this work because that goes on all the time. And even with the portal, I think it's still happening. The other interesting thing with the portal, and I will let you run after this because I know we want to wrap this up eventually, is I am interested to see what happens more now with coaches sort of doing the justin for now justin Fuente they came out and said if you go into the portal i am considering you gone you can't come mm-hmm. back yeah the idea of entering and coming back i don't think is what people thought of when the portal was created because they didn't want to place a situation where like as soon as you step in you're gone i they didn't i didn't think they they, they felt like that wasn't fair to the athletes and the other thing that that was discovered is the coaches realize, well, I might want that guy back. Like, 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 like in some <laughs> ways, it behooves me to let him take a pass through there, check things out. Maybe the kid's just upset he had a bad semester. He just needs to blow off some steam. He'll go into the portal, do it, and come – because guys do. They step in and they come back. I am wondering how that evolves over the next few years and if they might consider putting some either A – Coaches themselves make it team rules, hey, you go in, you can't come back. Or and I've discussed this at an NCAA level, and I don't they, they don't seem to have a good idea of how they can do it without it being unfair to the kids and creating some unfortunate circumstances where now kids just have no scholarships. But this idea of limiting when you how long you can go in, if you can go in and come back, I still think that that's a hole in this system that might need to be patched.
2: I, I agree. I think if you go back and read like the original press releases about what this was going to be, the intent of this was to let them explore transfer, not to hop on a website and get recruited and, and leave and, and that's it. It was to explore the possibility of being recruited. That doesn't mean coaches have to you know, treat it that way. And so you have seen Justin Fuente and I've talked to other coaches. Others don't say it. Don't really want to say it publicly, but they're absolutely going to run off a guy that, that does it. Uh, you look at the portal right now in this cycle since August, like I said, there's I think 50 players that have gone in the portal and less than 50 have withdrawn. Right. And I think that number's pr- pretty low and pretty concerning. I now there, there are going to be some coaches that if a player goes in the portal, um, he should probably expect to see his, his items in his locker, you know, in a box the next day. <laughs> right. And there are going to be some kids who the coaches are going to be, um, you know, sitting down in meetings and trying to talk through things and trying to figure out how to, you know, find a way to, to get them to come back. So it, it's all very case by case, but yeah, I would, I would hope that like, you know, David Shaw took a little bit of a different approach this off season. Um, he told his players who were going to be graduates you know, feel free to put your name in there and see what you can find. And and they had, you know, there was it was pretty publicized that they had more than a dozen guys in the portal, but all of them were grad transfers and guys looking for maybe where to play. Um, and a few of them have come back. I, I think that's an interesting approach that that kind of takes a little bit of the ego out of it. And, and you'd like to see more coaches say, you know, what if you want to explore it, I understand that. And you know, it is hard for them to hold that spot. Um, but you would like to see it be a little bit more of an exploratory thing and not just a done deal, because some of these these kids ultimately um, are making a mistake in 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 thinking that there's something out there that's going to be a lot better.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's any a good legislative solution. I talk about like a patch or having something that could fill that, but in 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 reality, what really should be filling that is just good faith player and coach relations. Really, you want it to be a situation where we will work this out amongst ourselves on a case by case basis and the coaches will do the right things and the players quite frankly they have to take some responsibility too, will do the right things for everybody involved and people will act within a timely manner because it's it does strike me as a place where if you tried to make rules around it, it might make things worse.
2: Yeah, yeah, I totally totally agree with you and I It it, it is. You wonder if there's some way to create it where there's a time period where they can go in or whatever. But yeah, it's, you know, it, this, the the, the reality is, is this stuff's going to change and it's going to change pretty soon here. And uh, you know, I, I, I I think ultimately you hope that like, as I write about the, the statistics of of players going in the portal and stuff, like you just hope that they can, can be well-educated on what are the odds that they're facing if they decide to do so. And, you know, what's the likelihood that they end up playing at FCS or a lower, you know, lower level uh, if they go into the portal and and don't have people hitting them up. So you you hope that players are making educated decisions because at the end of the day, I do believe a lot more of them are going to go in and there's the same amount of spots each year.
1: Max Olson from The Athletic. Thank you so much for the, uh, long and insightful conversation i took you a little longer than i hoped for max i hope i didn't make you late for anything but thanks all so good, much for, yeah thanks so much for getting together with me on the during the offseason to hit a little news and uh, relevant topics
2: all right appreciate it buddy hope i see you soon
1: absolutely and now three and out first down we're talking hand sizes this week so the nfl combine must be here I won't watch much of the combine, but to be fair, that's mostly because I don't get the NFL network on my streaming service. Otherwise, I would probably be consuming far more of it than is actually healthy. Second down. And to be clear, the reason why I like watching the NFL combine when I have a chance to is not because I think it dramatically changes the draft stock of players I'm not moving guys up and down my board. For the most part, it doesn't do that. For the most part, the film tells the story on the player. I get drawn in by just how crazy athletic these guys are. When I was young, I loved superheroes and still eat up all the Marvel movies. Elite athletes nowadays are almost like real-life superheroes. I am amazed at the things that they can do, which seems so far beyond the capacity of mere humans third down last word on the move of Scott Cochran from Alabama to Georgia. I want to stress that I can't imagine one man moving from Tuscaloosa to Athens is going to swing the power in the sec toward the east. And this is how Georgia will overtake the tide. That would be silly. But continuity has value in college football, and Cochran has provided that for Saban more than any other person when it has been lacking throughout the on-field coaching staff at Alabama. Ultimately, if Georgia and Kirby Smart are going to achieve their goal of catching Alabama and becoming the dominant program in the SEC, really throughout college football, it will be done on the recruiting trail. The Bulldogs have been recruiting at an Alabama-level For four years. And if adding Cochran can help swing the advantage toward the Bulldogs, then he is worth every penny. I'm confident losing Cochran will not end the Alabama dynasty. I'm just as confident that this is a loss of significance to Alabama. We'll be able to quantify just how much Alabama loses and Georgia gains in a few years. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Westwood One Podcast. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.
0: This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC.